Hey everyone out there in internet land, it's a new episode of How About This, and here we go. Hello, people of the internet. It's another episode of How About This, a fantasy pitch show where my co-host Jordan and I talk about our favorite properties and favorite brands out there and how we would handle them in some other form of media or how we would continue their legacy or how we would rewrite their legacy so that, well, it ends up better than it must have ended up on TV or in the movies or in a video game or something. <laughs> we, yes. <laughs> we like better. to talk better we, is the point. We want to talk about ways to make stuff better. But that being said, I'm Mike Staub. I'm a glutton of entertainment. I love my movies. I love my video games. I love my TV shows. I love my comic books. And with me is an amazing host, an amazing writer, a very talented individual, Mr. Jordan Hugh. This show is like Shark Tank, but both <laughs> both the sharks are nice and the tank is like uh, lemonade or something. We're not very mean about it, I realize. It, it always comes off like we are too we're going to we're going to take your ideas and we're going to flush them down the toilet but really what it is we already really love the stuff that we're talking about and it's just kind of like hey these are our like pipe dreams of what could have been i think a big part of what's going on right now in hollywood and in entertainment in general is this whole kind of you got two different ballparks right you've got this whole kind of let's make a sequel 30 years later type thing right we also have the revisionist culture of let's reboot everything and i think you and i kind of fall in a place where it's like no let's <laughs> let's celebrate what we love about these franchises and these properties but let's sure. let's also at the same time if they're going to make sequels anyway or they're going to make a reboot anyway how would we do it what do we think is the best way to do it and sure it's a little arrogant to to feel this way to be like ah, i think we could do something with this but it's also a really fun creative process and for people like us who are creators in our own right in terms of whether it be music or writing or dungeons and dragons type things or anything like that people who like to be creative of like to live in that creative mind space frequently. It's talking about stuff like this that actually pushes us to create stuff on our own. So like if we sat here and be like, you know, it'd be really cool if they did with Batman and then write this Batman story and then realize that, you know what? I can use this for something. This is a good idea. So I think sure. it's also partially a creative conversation that you and I have been having for what year is it? You know, 22 years now, 23 oh, yeah. years. And in fairness, you know, any anybody, any respectable nerd has, has sat with nerd friends and said, oh, I have a really cool idea. What do you think about this? Really, that's how this podcast came about. Going back to your earlier point about Hollywood's penchant for latter-day sequels that take place, you know, 30 years after the original or reboots or requels or uh, so many different kinds of these things. This is all under the category of nostalgia mining which has become the new craze. Uh, this operates in cycles. This is not the first time our culture has been sunk into nostalgia. And by the way, I, I really love Stranger Things, but I think Stranger Things is something very easy to point to, to say, wow, here is a classic example of a generation, in this case, the latter Gen X or early millennials coming into their own in terms of being able to be in charge of productions, in charge of what screenplays get developed and say, we want to see something where it's like when we were kids. We're seeing a lot of those properties resurrected now. Also, like, let's think about it. I always say this, this is kind of the way things go. It's always like the generation who's in charge yeah. of all these decisions at that point in time. I always feel like they're looking back 30 years. 
I feel yeah. like in like the 80s and early 90s, like 50s revival was really big, right? Your, your 50s sure. revival was really big. Like in the late 70s, probably through the early 90s, it was all about the 50s. So I think now at this point, we're probably going to start getting more into like 90s nostalgia, people mining the 90s for stuff. And we're actually already seeing stuff like that with a lot of Nicktoons actually all coming from, back in some degree. At, uh, Fuller House is a yep. huge hit. And yeah. that is that is all 90s nostalgia. Exactly. Just, just, to, just to name one of many. Just to name one, I mean, there's talks about a Daria reunion. There's talks about... I'd be all about that. Yeah, I know. That's a good show. That's my it's... girl. <laughs> <laughs> the Rugrats were rumored to come back. They are, apparently are doing another Hey Arnold related thing. There was a Rocco's Modern Life thing just to be with the Nicktoons. These are and all even... good properties. We're, these are, all these are future episodes now. They're all, exactly. They've made the list. I would want to do a DuckTales episode if the Disney's DuckTales oh, wasn't as good they're... as it is. Yeah, we have nothing to offer. That's already too good. We can't improve DuckTales at all. Good job, Disney. What I love too about it is that there are some properties like like you're right, like DuckTales in general. And eventually we'll get to the right topic today. DuckTales in general is that the way they handle it, it's perfectly done. It's like, okay, in a post-Gravity Falls, Rick and Morty cartoon landscape, how can we create a show? And I haven't watched Steven Universe and, and Adventure Time much, but that's probably all part of that it's creative part suit. of it, sure. How can we create a DuckTales for now? And they've done a really really good job with it and teddy williams knocked it out of the freaking park yeah, man really it's a did. great it's a great show there's actually aspects of the new ducktales that i like better than the old ducktales i agree i think that a lot and i think one of it is donald i think donald is using donald as a central character is wonderful and the Della's presence great. of donald really odella is the best thing in the show and really making the boys huey dewey and louie different characters with their own yep. personalities instead of just three different colors of costumes has been great no, that's true. And like, also on top of that, the voice cast is like unreal oh, for that yeah, show. Sure. It's like, you get David Tennant as Scrooge. Like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And even Huey, Dewey, and Louie are all very prominent now TV comedians with the cast they have there. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda playing Fenton Crackshell yeah, no. Gizmo Duck on Gizmo that Duck. show. It's, it's unbelievable. Ins- it's, un- it's insane. It's totally it's great. And if you, it's funny because if, if you ever look at like the guest voice actors on the show, they're unbelievable. It's all great talent. But you know, they got that Disney bucks. But that being said, we went from talking about a show <laughs> that is about adventuring and about finding relics and about wow, nice cave delving. This is, a, this is an Emmy award winning transition. I know. They should, uh, they should definitely give me one of those radio awards and one of those webbies <laughs> for being able to pull this one out of thin air. What in our lifetime? Because while I would love to say that Indiana Jones was part of my lifetime it's still a little before us indiana jones is a little later than star wars and it's a little early for us we still grew up watching it but i felt like indiana jones wasn't necessarily our generation's thing sure indy is a gen x property indiana jones is a a hardcore gen x property it does bleed over into older millennials but also it is a it is a classic so everyone enjoys indiana jones ultimately but you're right in terms of generational ownership gen x gets indiana jones gen x gets indiana jones he's in that soup with like back to the future and the Goonies and all that stuff. They all kind That's of- all theirs. Are all theirs. Unfortunately, because I mean, as much as I love Back to the Future, I definitely grew up with Back to the Future, but it wasn't, I wasn't of the age. I wasn't 10 when those movies came out. However, we were both about 13 when a very special adventure movie came out. And the fact that this movie doesn't have a great review score on Rotten Tomatoes 
makes me very, very upset. It doesn't? I think it's like a 50, but let me double check. Oh, that's super low. I didn't, I didn't actually check before we recorded. I thought it would be, I thought it would be higher. Mike, do you want to tell the people what we're talking about? We haven't actually said it yet. Yeah, we, we, like haven't, 20 minutes. we haven't said a thing. First of all, it has a 60. So that's oh, not bad. Well, it's, it's, it's not it's, good either. It's not great. Well, so, it's no Shawshank Redemption. So we're going to talk about the closest thing our generation had to an Indiana Jones film. Osmosis Jones. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. That was uncalled for. The closest thing that our generation had to an, to an Indiana Jones film was 1999's classic the mummy starring brendan fraser and rachel weiss yeah now this is a great great movie i am misquoting someone paraphrasing someone you can yell at us i don't know if i'm misquoting roger ebert who i feel like probably said this but the movies that you see when you were 10 are the movies that are going to be the best movies you've ever seen for your entire life that has never been more true than i was 13 but seeing the mummy in theaters was was my experience with that i did not unfortunately i did not see the mummy in theaters but the mummy was something that i had seen a bunch because it was on tv all the time it was on the movie channels constantly in the early 2000s especially because if you go back and look at it in a pre-marvel world right in terms of film film universes and film franchises the mummy made a lot of money oh god yeah yeah, even The Mummy Returns made a lot of money. Franchise on the whole made something like over $1.4 billion. So we're talking about a billion dollar film franchise over the course of nine years. And the budget of those films was only $323 million. So it made three times, three or four times the amount it cost to make. It had Brendan Fraser in it, who at the time was a fairly prominent uh, leading man, right? Oh yeah, really bankable action star. Somehow always like ranked below maybe a Tom Cruise or, or someone like that, but certainly someone that was very popular and very popular, this is important, very popular with young people, like yes. children, families. He was associated as being like the, uh, the sort of the family action star. And I think he kind of continued to do that later on with movies when he started doing like Journey to the Center of the Earth that were like family Oh stamped. yeah, and, and we had already seen him in things like Encino Man and his, his career is mostly like the family Saturday afternoon movie was always starring Brendan Fraser. It was always something like The Dazzled or um, what is that unfortunate movie where, actually it's a great movie, how dare I introduce it that way. His parents think that there's been a nuclear explosion. Oh, Blast from the Past? Blast from the Past is a great movie and another great Brendan Fraser performance. He also did some more heartwarming work. Uh, he's in a great movie called The Scout, uh, where he's is a really terrific actor in that. He was just very, very good. And I guess, I guess we'll talk more about him and what happened to him later. He was a, a very big, meaningful star at the time. What about um, Monkey Bone? I liked Monkey Bone. I, I know everybody just called it like a ripoff, you know, Beetlejuice kind of thing, but I, I thought Monkey Bone was pretty good. No, I have never seen Monkey Bone. I just always remember that name and I'll never forget that name. Brendan Fraser, you know, he still shows up in things nowadays. He's in Doom Patrol. I believe he's Robot Man in Doom Patrol. If that's the right name of the character, I forget. I'm going to have to look that up. His yeah. career really dipped off, unfortunately. There were some abuses alleged yeah, yeah. by him against some other members of the community in, in Hollywood. But then also during these movies, during these mummy movies, he, he really got hurt quite quite badly. You know, if you look back at his, his track record of injury, he shattered his knee, he broke his back, uh, broke his neck, or similar. If you look at the filming from like The Mummy Returns, he's basically wearing like an exoskeleton. Like he's like Batman in, in Kingdom yeah. Come. He's wearing like armor plates to keep himself together yeah. under uh, his clothes. It's and we've heard from plenty of 
the superhero actors these days of how physically taxing it is to make an action movie. Like Tobey Maguire almost quit Spider-Man after what, Spider-Man 1 or 2 because he was in such pain from doing all the Spider-Man related stunts or whatever Spider-Man related stunts he had to do. Right, like dancing, mostly dancing. Mostly dancing in Spider-Man 3. Well, that, that (laughs) that broke all of us. It did. Not just him. Yes. Ultimately, in the end, yeah, it's it's one of those things where they're tough to make. They cost a lot of money and they have to be hard on their actors. So I totally understand why Brendan Fraser kind of kind of disappeared for a while, but he's sort of sort of coming back a little bit here and there. Hopefully he's able to at least, you know, make a career out of it coming back and, and doing some interesting stuff. This movie also has Rachel Weiss in it, who is excellent in this film. She's always, she always excellent. Always excellent. Now, I didn't know much about her before this. I know a lot about her career after this, so I wasn't sure what she what she had done before uh, yeah she's got a resume a mile long i think i first noticed her doing a film adap- adaptation of a neil labute play called the shape of things where she she plays basically the female lead in that really the lead in many ways but she she has kind of made her mark as a real actress yeah. which i think is why the first two movies are so good especially why the first movie is so good is because in many ways she's the lead no, rick, o- rick o'connell brennan fraser is the action lead but she is like the the lead in terms of the plot and in terms of being the Egyptologist who's our introduction to this world of Egyptology. She's so invested and gives such a wonderful, refreshing performance. And it, it comes from being used to being in a better class of film than these. And she is, it's her story ultimately in the end, right? Rick is kind of hired by oh yeah by Evie to do this whole mummy business. He's been to Hamanaptra. <laughs> Let's get into it. So The Mummy comes out in 1999 and it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It has an $80 million budget. Its box office pulls in $415 million, which doesn't seem like a lot by today's standards. But for 1999, this is a massive, massive summer blockbuster. Yeah, that's huge. It's a really, it's and, it's, and it spawns two sequels, <laughs> a kind of spawns a reboot. It's got a ride at Universal Studios in Florida. Oh, and or, don't forget the Scorpion King. And also it gave The Rock a, his acting career, essentially, which people might like or people might hate, but we'll <laughs> leave that to you to decide in the comments. Jury, jury is still out on The Rock. So yeah, this kind of built a giant film franchise. It was a long, I mean, it was a bit of a launching pad for this, this new adventure film. And I feel like at this point in time, now I might be completely incorrect on this, but I feel like at this point in time, there weren't a lot of movies doing the classic adventure story, kind of like what Indiana Jones was doing before that. Also, you know, as a callback to all the kind of pulp comic heroes and your Saturday morning serials that you used to get many, many, many moons ago. Yeah, so I, I seem to remember, and I, I don't have good uh, references for all the years that these movies were coming out. It could be that The Mummy ushered all these in, or it could be that it was kind of riding the wave of movies that were kind of made in the image of the mid-20th century Saturday matinee or midnight matinee horror adventure movies. I seem to remember sort of a lot of them because The Mummy often reminds me of things like Tomb Raider or even like Disney's live action The Jungle Book or really a lot of film that's going on kind of in that little span of 10 years where it's like, hey, let's make movies like they used to make in the 40s and 50s specifically or probably actually going all the way back to the 30s. Yeah, probably. Uh, So that's, that's where we're looking at that sort of time period because actors like Boris 
Boris Karloff or something like that, they'd be right at home in this newer incarnation of the same films that they were making. And I feel like a lot of this this type of stuff would live on, not in film at that point, but it definitely was something that was very prominent in gaming. For example, like you mentioned, the Tomb Raider movies were made in like the mid-2000s, early to mid-2000s, and then you had those games that were kind of carrying the torch. Tomb Raider was essentially doing in the video games, you know, what Indiana Jones was trying to do in the movies. And this was kind of like, you know, the mid-90s, the mid to, mid to late-90s were all about, like, Lara Croft was like one number one most popular video game character of the era. Lara Croft, along with, like, Final Fantasy VII, was kind of the push that video games weren't something that were just for children. So I could see that there are a lot of teenagers being very interested in this type of stuff. And The Mummy hits at the exact right time for a bunch of us who are 13 or 14 or 15 years old. It's like, yeah, let's go see some sort of wacky adventure horror film. There's a bit of supernatural. Well, there's a lot of supernatural in this one, but there's a lot of supernatural stuff. There's swashbuckling, there's adventure, there's gunfighting, there's horse riding or camel riding. And, you know, there's a mummy. So On the, on the, on the film side of it, so the, the 90s were a period of the of the horror remakes. Yes. I'm not even just talking about the slasher films. Those, those are always, they're omnipresent, they're ubiquitous. I'm talking about specifically from like 1990. Yeah. to 2000 they were basically making new versions of every monster movie so you had yeah. had at that point already bram stoker's dracula you had the kenneth branagh frankenstein basically everybody from back in the day got a new movie yeah. and the mummy this mummy which is the most ridiculous one is the best one of all of those remakes yeah hands uh, down. it is this this mummy specifically hands down i mean i had also seen... this mummy is better than the original <laughs> really, I, I mean, like, there's very few of those films can say, yeah. you know, for, for example, if we look at Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, we could say, oh my God, look at this, this costume design, production design is gorgeous, Gary Oldman's performance is great, but somehow it's still not as good as Bela Lugosi. You know what I no, mean? You're right. I think this movie, this mummy, for me, actually is better than than sort of the Karloff original. This is a better film. This is a more compelling film. I'm sure that's sacrilege to say. I think it's great. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's scary when it needs to be. I think it does a lot with the technology that they had at the time. I think it has characters who are both original and different while still retaining that classic feel. Rick O'Connell, as the kind of action hero lead in this movie, is very similar to like an Indiana Jones. But I do think there's some aspects of his character that are a bit different than what you would normally expect out of your swashbuckling, kind of leading, leading action hero. Oh, and that's key. Actually, The Mummy, listen, is Indiana Jones a better movie than The Mummy? Oh, loaded question. I guess it is. But I have much more fun watching The Mummy. And if, if you, Mike, were like, hey, right now, let's put in a movie. Do you want to watch uh, Raiders or do you want to watch The Mummy? I'm almost always going to say I want to watch The Mummy. Part of that is because of exactly what you said. There's little differences in the character of O'Connell versus Jones that makes O'Connell more watchable because he is much more fallible. He is really just a physical body and a good heart. The brains is all Evie. And splitting it between the two of them and creating two compelling characters, much better to watch. Oh yeah, I think so. And I think it's a fun watch. I think The Mummy is a very, very fun watch. You can watch this movie in the summer. You can watch this movie around Halloween. It's just a fun, good, fun action movie. You don't have to ask too many questions. It's oh, no. just Every time is the enough. right time for The Mummy. Exactly. You don't have to ask too many questions. You don't have to try to figure anything out. And while I love deep, you know, introspective films that ask questions and challenge your ability to understand 
understand them. Sometimes I just want to eat popcorn and watch people fight some mummies. I think that this film does a lot really, really well. And I think it's just so much fun. I watched it a few weeks ago because I knew we were going to have this episode. And I was like, wow, there's something special about this one. And the Rotten Tomatoes score, I don't think is doing it any justice. Probably because it's hokey and it's silly and it's fun. And I think if this movie came out today, it would be held at a much higher regard because people are having more fun with action movies and big ridiculous action movies these days. I, I hope so. We have such a, a culture of hate no, since the no. advent of social media. In 1999, social media was not a presence, really. I don't know what the people of our time now would do if this was a new release, but I think it has certainly aged into a position of kind of reverence at this point, which looking at the big picture is kind of silly because the movie is the movie does not demand to be revered at all. The movie just no. wants you to have a good time. And ultimately, I think that's what we enjoy about it. It's just like, no, put it in, have fun. It's a great time. It really is a great time. It really is. It's it's a lot of fun. And it's just, it's not trying to hide what it is. It's called The Mummy. It's about a mummy. And they go on a big Egypt adventure. And it's it's a blast. It's, you know, it's a classic treasure hunter adventure film that mixes up the characterization of these characters. It mixes up their motivations. It gives you new ideas while still retaining its essence and its connection to classic Saturday morning serial type uh, adventure films. Now, this movie obviously spawned a franchise, right? So we had three movies, three mummy movies. So we had The Mummy, The Mummy mm-hmm. Returns, yeah. and The Mummy, uh, The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. That, that's it, yep. Oh boy. And The Mummy Returns and Tomb of the Dragon Emperor are usually not held at the same regard as the original Mummy. Yeah, well, I think I think the general feeling, I, I, this is not a controversial statement at all, is that The Mummy Returns is fine. It's not particularly good or bad. It's it's a fine sequel. It's not nearly as good as the original, but it's not offensively bad. It's fine. It's more of the same. It's not great. It's Bioshock 2. <laughs> Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor is like objectively a bad movie. It's got great special effects and they really put a lot of investment into those amazing action sequences. And like objectively Jet Li is cool, but it's not, not a very good movie. And it, it's a really poor successor to the first one. And they also recast Rachel Weiss with what? Killed Maria it, Bello? which killed the series. Like- Just killed that's the worst thing that happened i don't understand why they recast people so frequently in films like this it's like ah we'll get someone cheaper and they'll play the same part it's like we've spent two movies with this character building a relationship with them we like them we we want to see this actor play this role it's one thing if you're doing a reboot and you go back and you recast everything but if you like turn around you're like all right we're gonna make the mummy three and we're gonna recast the essentially the main character right it's like uh why would you do that it feels like it's sort of like a betrayal it's like you you wouldn't recast bankman and Ghostbusters, would you? At this point, the movie was pretty iconic. Uh, The first one was 99. Dragon Emperor was coming out in 2008. Uh, I mean, people had had a couple years to understand that that Rachel Weisz was something major in these movies. And their love story, Rick and Evie's love story, is, is the heart of these films. So... I don't have anything against Maria Bello. She's a, a great actress and she's a, a very lovely person, I'm sure. But if you couldn't get Rachel Weiss back, you couldn't make this movie. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like just don't, but I guess, you know, money It'd be talks, like right? recasting Leia against the same Han. You yeah, can't do it. Exactly. It's exactly. And while many people can complain about how Star Wars has been handled, um, and I won't get into that here. That's uh, a whole can of worms. I'm happy they tried to do what they could with the footage they had because recasting Leia at that point would have been... No, you can't do it. Yeah, you can't do it. You can't do it. You know, it's... it's. There's some roles you can't recast. 
Vicious that was one of them. And that, Rachel I mean, Weiss was one of them. And Rachel Weiss in in the Mummy, yeah, it's a it's a bad job of recasting. You think they could have written around it? I guess they couldn't. Honestly, they couldn't have. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're a studio and you only care about money, and it's like, well, this this Rachel doesn't want to do the movie, you're not going to be like, well, then we're never going to make it because you can make a hundred million dollars, you can make two hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. uh, they didn't, by the way. They made a lot of money, but not nearly as successful as the the first two films. They needed to find something to draw her in. Rumors swirl as to why Rachel Weisz did not want to return. You know, some people say she wanted to spend more time with her. Her kid had just been born, but she was still making movies at that time. The Fountain had just come out, similar to the time that The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor came out. So she was still in the movies. She just didn't want to do that one. The other big thing was that they said that maybe the money was not right or that the screenplay was not right. But those are things that you fix for that actress if you want to make that movie. They would still have a cash cow if they had kept everybody happy. And by everybody in these films... It's really three people. Yeah. If you can keep Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, and John Hanna, who plays Jonathan in the films, happy, you've still got that family together and the movies are still to go. No one gives a crap about the kid. Uh, we're not even talking. <laughs> I think my first question is, what do you like so much about The Mummy? What does it do well that warrants it getting a, a either new installment or something that we could do over? Some of wanting to pitch something new for The Mummy franchise, it, it really has to do with, with redemption because that third movie is so bad and you don't feel like Rick and Evie's story really has a satisfying conclusion. And because The Mummy Returns is also not terrific, you don't feel like Imhotep's story has a really good conclusion conclusion. It's kind of like the makers of these films sort of forgot what they were about. They remembered that they were supposed to be fun and full of explosions, but they also kind of forgot the heart of the film. What was at that heart was their romance. They forgot the thrill of exploration. They forgot even certain horror elements are no longer present by the time you get to Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Again, it's just kind of all replaced with this special effects beige wash that kind of comes over everything. And I'm not just talking about the wash of the, the terracotta warriors in the third film. My goodness. You know, the third film is so lazy. Even Jet Li, who's in the movie twice, doesn't seem like he really wants to be there. And maybe he didn't. Maybe he was like, this is a paycheck and I'm out. I don't know. Everyone seems tired in that movie. Well, yeah, obviously they weren't working with the best script. They were working with a franchise that they were clearly trying to just tag one on and do one last movie so that the studio can make some money. Yeah, I wish that had been the case, though. But if you go back and you watch the end of the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, you're like, oh, this is not the last movie because they, they keep everybody together. They strongly hinted a sequel. And folks that have been reading the trades know for years that they were trying to make the fourth Mummy movie with that cast. They wanted to do something in the Americas, Tomb of the Aztecs, I think it was going to be called. They had a lot of people attached to this. They were going to put out, I think, the young actor's name that played Alex O'Connell, I think, is, is it Lucas Ford, right? Is that right? I don't know off the top of my head. Luke Foster, Luke Ford. Clearly, I care a lot about him. And he, <laughs> he was really meant to take over the franchise and be like the new big thing. And they had like a lot of people attached already. They, they had attached like Bryce Dallas Howard and Scarlett Johansson, who were like the go-to gals at the time for the, the girls that would be like the love interest. And clearly one would betray him because that you can't have two women in a movie without one betraying the hero. It's old trope. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that's the angle they were going for. I am so glad that movie was never made because by the time we got to Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, the series was so soulless it might as well have been sealed in a casket and buried beneath the sands. Well, I mean, it wasn't the last Mummy movie to be made, though. Oh, man. Are we really going to talk about that one? I haven't seen it. I've only seen the trailer. <laughs> no, you've only seen the trailer where they... They, they don't have the sound. <laughs> they remove the ambient sounds. You only hear Tom ah! screaming. <laughs> 
I have not seen it. I know that Universal for like a week and a half was trying to do this connected monster universe. Which oh, the was Dark it? Universe, yeah. The Dark Universe, which they're, they got like two movies in and realized ah, this isn't going to work and they canned it. I, I don't really want to talk about the Tom Cruise mummy because the, the Tom Cruise mummy has nothing to do with this mummy. No, but I think, it, I think there's a valuable lesson there. I think the folks that were trying to push the Tom Cruise mummy was saying, hey, you know what? The name The Mummy still has a resonance with movie-going audiences and, and we can still make a buck out of this. But they neglected to realize they need Brendan Fraser. Yeah. which is an unbelievable thing to say in 2020 because we all treat this guy like he's something from yesteryear, something to be forgotten. But as my pitch will explain, he is something to be valued as is, as is Rachel Weisz. You can't do this series without them. No, I think they were very important. We also understand too that the Mummy movies are actually also highly influential as well. I mean, Brendan Fraser's portrayal in these movies is highly influential. The developers at Naughty Dog cite the Mummy and Brendan Fraser and the Mummy as half of the inspiration for the character Nathan Drake in the Uncharted games. Sure. Nathan Drake is is essentially 50% Brendan Fraser from The Mummy and 50% Nathan Fillion from everything else. Sure. So that's incredibly influential, especially to an audience at this point who has played four of these games and they're some of the biggest selling games for the PlayStation, uh, these Uncharted games. And they're essentially a modern generation's version of Indiana Jones and The Mummy. Like even the clothes that Rick wears in the first Mummy movie with the blue scarf is what Nathan Drake wears in Uncharted 3 when he goes into the desert. So that is how did we end up with Tom Holland for these? For Uncharted? Yeah, isn't that who they want for, for, for the that movie? Character? Yeah, for the movie they want it. They want Tom Holland. I think if that movie happens, which I don't think it will happen, because obviously we talked about this last time at Bioshock. Video game movies typically are bad. What? And with Uncharted. I think the reason why they want Tom Holland is because they want him for young Nathan Drake. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, listen, I, I love Tom Holland. I'm sure it's going to be a great project for him, but definitely not the first person I think of when I think of Nathan Drake. I think of, of course, yeah, Nathan Fillion or Nathan or, Fillion. Uh, or Brendan Fraser. Yeah, and Nathan Fillion even made his own 15-minute long Uncharted movie with a few of his friends on like a weekend. You can actually find it on YouTube where he plays Nathan Drake, and it's perfect because- uh, Was it like his Deadpool audition to do the role? I think so. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can actually go out there and, and find that video and it's excellent. It's really, really good. And it's done really well and he's perfect for it. And I feel like Brendan Fraser and Nathan, Fill and Nathan Fillion are two great actors to do this type of thing. Mm. And they've been incredibly influential because the on top of that, the Uncharted games have inspired the new Tomb Raider games, which, which were originally inspired by the original Tomb Raider games. Uncharted is essentially Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider all in one. And then the new Tomb Raider games were inspired by the Uncharted series. And that has also started a film franchise. We'll see. I haven't seen the new Tomb Raider. I've heard it's actually much better than most video game movies. However, it's still apparently okay. But I think there's a space and a place in Hollywood for some of these kind of classic style adventure movies among the massive amount of superhero films that we are just getting hit with one right after the other. Sure. So we know what works about The Mummy, right? What what doesn't work about The Mummy in general? Like, is there something in it that to you is like, mm, this could be better. This is something we can extrapolate on. Well, you know, the first film is perfect. The only thing that really has, has aged out over time is that the special effects don't look as good as they could because they were working with what they had yeah, in yeah, their yeah, budget yeah. in you know 1997 into 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, I'll, I'll skip Returns for now because Returns is just a, not a great script. Everything else is fine. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor just loses its way in terms of what we want to see in that 
franchise, it, it takes for granted that the mummy doesn't need to be that mummy, but it, yeah. it does. It's called the mummy, the definite mummy. article mummy, because it's, it's Prince Imhotep specifically. And I know it seems kind of tired to just keep resurrecting the same villain time and time again, but you do need him to have this story, just like you need O'Connell and Evie, uh, and I would argue Jonathan is part of what you need for this uh, series as well. You can put them in new locations. I thought actually China was so cool in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but once you take away some of the horror and the mythos behind what makes Emotep Emotep, you also devalue everything we've learned in the previous movies. Ultimately, that's why it's not a satisfying closer, because it didn't build on any of the lore we already had. It just gave us new lore with the same characters and a recast lead. There was no way for it to succeed. Now, I think that these movies, now, I'm not really big, or I'm not really a big fan of sequel mills, like cranking out sequel after sequel after sequel. I know I'm a Marvel Universe fan, so I know that's kind of hypocritical, but I'm not huge on it all the time. Sometimes I just want to see one movie and I want it to be a complete story, and that's it, and let it go. However, with the money... Uh, you, will, you will not like my pick. Well, well, hold on. I, that, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to get at. I'm actually not getting at your pitch. I haven't really read your pitch yet because I like to be surprised. My mentality when it comes to stuff like this is because they're based off of Saturday morning serials and pulp comics and classic adventure stories like that, that's all those things were. Every movie was another adventure. So Indiana Jones, if he had 100 movies, I'm okay with it. That's kind of the point of that character. James Bond is the same type of thing. It's just another case. It's just another adventure. So something like The Mummy, I think The Mummy could have as many sequels as they want because it's kind of in the nature and of the essence of what they're about is to pretty much tell these adventure stories that Rick O'Connell and Evie go on to, you know, uncover lost artifacts and to visit ancient cities and to deal with this omnipresent evil mummy that keeps coming back. He was even at MAGFest this year that when I went to MAGFest. And they resurrected was, him at MAGFest? They were resurrecting and killing a lot of people at MAGFest. Uh, I'm joking, obviously. Nobody was killed. You're not really joking. I heard about that. Nobody was actually killed or resurrected, but when I was at MAGFest at Music and, Music and Gaming Fest this year, at the beginning of January, before you know everyone got sick, there was a group of people walking around the convention center following someone who had a giant sign with a picture of Emotep on it, chanting Emotep, Emotep, Emotep over and over and over and over again. And then they were quote-unquote joke sacrifice people and then bringing them back to life. It was wonderful. I sent you video. I, I remember this. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember I wasn't jealous of you going to MAGFest. I, I couldn't make it until I saw that video and I was like, damn it, I could have been there for this. You could have been that you could have been you could have been sacrificed to Emotep and then risen from the dead. Oh, a boy can dream. One day, one of these days. Well that just goes to show you that even twenty one years later, there are still enough people that like the mummy to get involved with this ridiculous group cosplay at a convention. And it wasn't like five people. It was like 20 people just sure. walking around the entire convention center one night. And it was amazing. So it shows you where the influence of this movie has kind of extended way, way, way beyond its grasp in the best possible way it could. Absolutely. Also, we can't forget to mention that it is your superpower to find the mummy on TV whenever it's on. It is. I got this weird thing where I, I kind of, here's how it starts. It, it starts like spider sense. I'll be sitting at my desk or on my bed or whatever. And I'll say, man, I could really watch the mummy tonight. I'll, I'll put it on, uh, put on my, my television and, if the mummy is playing on a channel, I can find it immediately, if it is playing, without using any kind of TV guide, without asking Siri, is the mummy on tonight, anything like that. I, I can find it pretty much instantly. Emotep. It's a terrible power, Mike, that I've been gifted. It's, it's really a curse, because then, I, do you know how many movies I haven't watched, because I've just watched The Mummy again? Probably hundreds. I would say thousands. 
I mean a lot. Uh, real apologies to the Coen brothers, Steven Spielberg, Wes Anderson, uh, really everybody. I'm sorry. I'm just going to watch The Mummy again. And when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to watch The Mummy again tonight. Of, of course you're going to put it on because why not? What better way to spend you your time? You must not read from the book. <laughs> Still the best persuade slash bl- bluff check in the history of movies is Jonathan when he blends in with the... <laughs> Emotep. And then oh, yeah, he just gets great. out and gets in the car. Oh, what a rogue. He's awesome. <laughs> what a great, great time. It was just as fun to watch a few weeks ago as I watched it when we were when we were teenagers. So that being said, you're pitch leader on this episode because you're the one who has the special superpower about the mummy. So tell me, how would you handle the mummy? All right. How about this? We're going to pick up where we left off after Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but we're going to shoot it forward about 15 years. So we are now late into the 1950s, maybe even hitting about 1960. I could even go into the early 60s for this. And the reason why I want these years is is pretty specific. I want it to be the golden age of the building of Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, that's that's like where it. I'm that's where I'm looking at. Here's where I'm going, folks, with this pitch. Hopefully you liked the movie Scream 4, because this was my <laughs> touchstone for this. I don't Not think I've seen pl- Scream 4. It's actually really good. That's one of the newer ones, right? That's the newest one. Newest yeah, one. Scream 4. They are now planning Scream 5, but Scream 4 was the most recent one of you know, Actually, quite a while back now, I think. Yeah, I, I haven't seen past Scream 3. Oh, Scream 3 is actually also quite good, but Scream 4 is, is I think, better. Uh, anyway, here's why I'm bringing this up. Here's my, my plan. So first, for this film, we will bring back Rachel Weiss. Yes. And we will bring back Brendan Fraser. Yes. We will bring back John Hanna. Yes. We will bring back Arnold Vosloo, who plays Emotep. Okay. Yes. We will bring back Oded Fair right, who plays, as you might remember, the leader of the Medjai, Artith Bay. Yes. Um, so we are bringing back all these characters. We are not bringing back Alex O'Connell. We are not bringing back really any of the Dragon Emperor characters, even though I have no problem with those characters. I just think their story was told and we're, we're kind of going to a new place. So they're not in this. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is not in this movie. There's no Scorpion King. I'm only keeping the stuff I want because this my pitch, baby. All right. <laughs> so here's what we're doing. And here's why Las Vegas. There's a new hotel that's opening. And in, I guess this version of Las Vegas, the Luxor does not exist. So there is a new Egyptian hotel. I'm calling it the Nile River Grand. And Mike is smiling right now because we're about to play a D&D game where I have designed this this adventure almost specifically like this. But yeah, there's a big hotel. It could be the Luxor. It doesn't really matter. But we're calling it the Nile River Grand to avoid a lawsuit. The guy that owns this hotel is going to be Jonathan's business partner. Okay. Yep. We saw that Jonathan owned the nightclub called Imhotep in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Well, you know what? It's been a while. He's, he's gotten bigger in business. Now he's getting into the casino biz in America. So he's going to open this casino with his business partner, who I na- I've named the character Lewis, Lewis Ventry, but I, I would love the actor Stephen Graham to play him because I was so taken with Stephen Graham's portrayal of Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire that I was like, this guy plays like a scummy sort of Italian-American mobster really well. And I, just, I liked his look. It was a good look. I think he's a great actor. And perfect for that time period too. And perfect. He's a, he's a great period actor. That's that's very well said. So here he's out there and Stephen Graham's character, Lewis, he's got this hard on for Egyptology. Getting Jonathan to be his business partner, it's not because he thinks Jonathan is a great businessman. Oh, no, no, no. He knows who Jonathan's sister is. Jonathan's sister is is Evie O'Connell, but like the world famous Egyptologist that allegedly has saved the world three times or or possibly more. Now she and Rick are they're not approaching retirement. We're gonna play the actors at age, so I think they're they're in their early fifties at this point. And they have retired from adventuring at least, though they have not retired. Predominantly what they do is 
they tour the world because Evie is now a famous novelist. She does a lot of novels about Egyptology, about world exploration, about ancient ruins and relics. She has basically become a new version of like uh, the character from The Da Vinci Code, with the, Robert Langdon, right? She's like the new Robert Langdon, except the old Robert Langdon. She's the OG Robert Langdon, okay? So she's world famous, and Rick is just like her husband, and that's fine. He, you know, he, he doesn't need to be the adventurer right now yet. But we can have some humor about how, oh, I'm getting too old for this and whatever, whatever. And everyone Very loves charming. that. Everyone loves those things. Everyone loves the Danny Glover. Everybody loves that. Yeah. So Jonathan goes in on a partnership with this guy. He tells Evie and, and Rick to, to come out and, and come see the new casino because a lot of it is dedicated to their adventures together. Now, the reason why I invoked the name of Scream 4 in this pitch was <laughs> we're going to kind of layer a little bit of meta on top of this because Lewis Ventry represents fans of The Mummy and the want to resuscitate the series. So when Evie and Rick arrive at the hotel, they are horrified to discover that the decorations in the hotel are not just decorations. This idiot, Lewis Ventry, has actually hired a team of excavators to go excavate Egyptian ruins and just bring them into the hotel just to display them. And it's become like a thing that people come and tour. And not only are they horrified because it's just you know, so enormously disrespectful to Egyptology and to the Egyptian people, but they're horrified because, as it turns out, these explorers who were led by a woman named Catherine Alice Vancourt, played by Elizabeth Olsen, you know I love Elizabeth Olsen, these explorers have pulled up Hamanoptera. And the main room, the grand ballroom at this casino is Hamanoptera. And they're like, Jonathan, you idiot, what have you done? And Jonathan's uh, an idiot and a drunk, so he's like, I didn't know. He just said he wanted stuff from Egypt. So he, <laughs> he brokered a deal. So it's like the night of like the Grand Ball opening gala. It's too late for Evie and Rick to really do anything about this. And maybe they're even thinking of leaving Vegas. But what turns out happening is, so part of this exhibit in the Grand Ballroom is kind of a full burial tomb with this sarcophagus, a new magical sarcophagus. It's not Emotep sarcophagus. But the, the lore behind this sarcophagus is that it is the, the gateway to the underworld. And it's it's kind of a MacGuffin. It could be anything. If you want to use a gateway or a book or whatever, you could use that. That's fine. Or a gemstone. It doesn't need to be. I just, yeah, exactly. I like sarcophagi. So we'll, we'll say it's a sarcophagus. Cool. Yeah. Evie is like reading the runes on this thing. And she's like, oh my God, this is not to be trifled with. And Catherine Alice Vancourt, who's just a huge fan of hers, Elizabeth Olsen, is like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're Evie Hammond. I, I adore your work. You're so brilliant. I want to be just like you, or I've modeled my career after you. Evie tells her that she's done like a really terrible thing in bringing these ruins here. And they they have this fight, basically. And by and by, Louis Ventry and Catherine Alice Vanport characters, again, Stephen Graham and Elizabeth Olsen, they unwittingly open the doorway to the underworld, which of course lets out Prince Imhotep, because the last we saw him was being dragged into the pit at the end of The Mummy Returns. Really, it's the last time we saw him. And he comes back and he realizes what has happened. And he's been waiting to get his revenge on not just Evie and Rick, but really all of humanity. And he is going to unleash his fury on 1960 Las Vegas. And I am calling this movie The Mummy 
Valley of the Kings because his new desert that he is going to conquer is going to be the Las Vegas desert. This is obviously overwhelmingly bad. People have to like basically flee the city and Evie and Rick call in the Magi, right? They call in Artifay, actor Oded Frere, who I will always think of as the gigolo. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can't help but think that when you see the guy. It's either, oh, it's the dude from The Mummy or, oh, it's the gigolo. The gigolo uh, from, the, so they, the original gigolo from Disney They call Mom. in the OG gigolo. They call the gigolo in and he comes in and they have to fight the mummy together. But now it's set against the background of Las Vegas and some nice scaling in the film where the mummy manifestations start off small and just gradually get uh, bigger as he amasses power because I think that's it. that was an important feature in the first movie that we lost in the second. Yeah, because in the the first movie, it's really great to see the progression of like the plagues happen throughout the movie. You know, I think that's yeah. really cool, and I think you could really mess around with Vegas and people at that time. It's, and oh, you could also do it at the beginning where people just probably just assume it's part of the show. <laughs> I think I think there's that aspect of it. It also reminds me of a really nice salute to King Kong. Yes. Which is the best story of leave things that are in the ancient world alone because you have no idea what you are are dealing with and the, the things that are not part of your world don't belong there. So it has this King Kong nature of, we brought this thing back with us. Look how cool it is. And then it, it comes to destroy you. And of course, it's a, it's a revenge story. We don't want to start it off that the mummy is super powerful right away. He is stalking Evie and Rick through the streets of the city. There are these strange murders that are happening in Las Vegas and Evie and Rick are, are slowly catching on to this thing that's happening by the time they realize it's too late and then they have to have this, this confrontation. I thought even a good final act could even really take it from King Kong and have it that Catherine Alice Van Court, Elizabeth Olsen's historical society, actually excavated a couple of other things and left them in like maybe a, a New York museum so I can get a New York big battle final chapter, since these movies are also about big special effects fights or something like that. But there was something about Las Vegas that already lends itself to, hey, we're going to bring things that don't belong here in the middle of this desert, and we're going to make idols to ourselves, which just has morality play written all over it. So yeah, that, that's my pitch for that's my pitch for the mummy. That's kind of just what Vegas is in general, right? I mean, we did build <laughs> yeah. a city... <laughs> In the middle of the desert. Where nothing should be, yes. Nothing should be. So in general, that works. It also works with the whole imagery of that's what Emotep is, a, is familiar with. You know, he's sure. familiar with the desert. He's familiar with that. And even to the point, they built these pyramids or tombs for themselves, essentially. So it's really cool. I love it. I love and it. I th I th and I think he would love the new world. Like, yes. I think he would be so happy with where they have brought him, you yeah. know, to, yeah. to see America, this ridiculous place. And I thought gangsters, like... 50s, 60s gangsters could take the place of the cowboys from the yeah. original film yeah, yeah, as yeah. being like, hey, we're the big tough guy. We ain't afraid of no mummy. Oh, where's my organs? Yeah. Uh, you know, so <laughs> we'll go with that. Oh, where's my organs? <laughs> you know, he needs a tongue. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty, it's great. And I think the 60s, late 50s and 60s is a great period to play with because it's like post-World World War II. You still have a bit of that that old like classic Americana going on. Sure. You have that, that type of feel. People love period pieces and the 50s and, and 60s really stand out. The adventure trope almost demands that I have to put in some kind of evil Russian explorer to yeah, oppose O'Connell. So I guess it, because I didn't really give him a good villain, I guess I'll throw in like, I don't know, Catherine Alice Van Court has some kind of like Russian super soldier associate or that something. I don't know. <laughs> that he has to fight, you know, the physical threat. Because it's typical of these action movies. Whoever America is at war with at that time in history, you have to have a bad guy from that country in your in your movie. So yeah, we'll put in a Russian Cold War 
spy. How about that? Uh, yeah, that'll satisfy like, some people. I feel like the Soviet Union and the Soviet spies are like the Soviet whatever, right? It was they they were the villains in films for like thirty plus years. Oh yeah, because by, by that time the Nazis were done, we really only had the Cold War that was going on, and it was just like how much propaganda can we pump into these films? You know, yeah, everything, every everyone, you know, even now, even now, if he with, dies, he dies. He dies. Even now with like Stranger Things, like right, they're still <laughs> right, fighting Russian, the Russians. A Russian in that. Yes, there's a whole there's, Russian lab. There's, they're still fighting the Russians, even if one of them was like the Russian Terminator. <laughs> the ridiculous character. That was my least favorite part of, yeah, of Stranger Things 3. Yeah. I think this is a great pitch, man. I think this is a really great way to handle this franchise because it doesn't get rid of the past. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's trying to give you what the mummy was about. And it's about adventure and it's about fun. And what better way to tell a modern adventure story than to do something in Vegas as it's kind of becoming the Vegas that we've heard about. Yeah, and to bring our conversation full circle from the beginning of the episode, um, this movie, Mummy Valley of the Kings, or whatever you want to call this pitch of mine, this is a moralizing of the dangers of nostalgia mining, of yeah. not leaving not leaving the past in the past. Yeah. And that, that layer of meta theatricality, looking at it through that lens, is kind of what makes this movie work. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And I think it's a really, really good pitch. I would love to see this because I think it's a great franchise that was kind of mishandled for a while. I think there's a place for it. I think there's a place for this type of movie in the theaters right now. I hope so. I, I'm not really doing anything for probably the next few months. If anybody wants to give me a call and spend a, a dummy up a screenplay for them, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, you know what? Just write the screenplay so you have it. I, they, they say that's what I should do. Yeah, just have it. Be like, well, just I have it. Be ready. I have a mummy treatment. You never actually. know. I'm, I'm going to see Arnold uh, Vosloo just walking down the street and I'll be like, oh my God, fucking Imhotep is just walking down the street and I'll give him my screenplay. That might be a bad sign though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, I could pretend. I could, I could pull a Jonathan. Oh yeah, yeah. You could do. Oh, I want to... Yeah, I've got that down. Yeah, you I'm do. I'm king of the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, could we get Simon Pegg in this movie? I can oh, write please. a role for him. Yes, he. If has... John, if John Hanna dies, Simon Pegg has to play Jonathan Hammond. Perfect. Love it. He's in. Wow, I just realized. Is that really that character's name? Is that no? I must be. Get... Is Edie Hammond from something else? Is that not her name in these movies? <laughs> I think I've totally messed this up. Well, viewers, viewers at home, if the character's name is not. Oh no, Evie, you know who Evie Hammond is? Evie Hammond is from V for Vendetta. Yes. That's why I keep doing that. Yes. You know what? I'm not embarrassed. V for Vendetta is an amazing movie. And of course I confuse that. That's okay. Well, that's fine. their last name is apparently Carnahan. I don't remember that being said in the movies too much, but but there we have it. Yeah, yeah we'll fix it in post. I thought for a second it was John Hanna and John Hammond. Well, that's not how it is at all. <laughs> Never mind, everyone. I am an idiot. No, you're not, because you just pitched a great treatment for The Mummy 4, Mummy, The Valley of Kings. So That's I really it. like this, and I had a lot of fun with this. I think this is something that everyone could enjoy. But that being said, we should probably wrap this up. This has been yet another episode of How About This, a show where two New York-based entertainment gluttons and all-around nerds like to give fantasy pitches for some of their favorite properties and brands. In this episode, we tackled The Mummy, and I believe that Jordan did an amazing job Oh, thank you. treatment of The Mummy. And next week, we don't know what we're going to talk about, but there will be something different and interesting, and maybe we might even have a guest next time, so you never know. But if you like the show, please like, subscribe, give us a rating, put in some comments. If you hate the show, also put in some comments, because we love a flame war on the internet, and we will argue with you 
until we pass out. We will never stop. We won't stop until we think we're right, which I guess is always. So Always. We will fight we you. Stop. We'll yeah, fight we, you. We, we'll, we'll fight, fight you in always. the comments. We'll see you in the comments. Please, at us. Please. We would love it. That being yeah, said- pe- People say don't at me. Definitely at me. At me. 100%. At, at me. me right now. But yes, so thanks again for listening, everyone out there on the internet. I would like to thank the wonderful and amazing Jordan Hugh. For being and thank a you, wonderful thank you, uh, Mike Stout. Thank you, and thank you also very much. We hope you have a lovely day, and please be safe out there, because you never know, mummies. Am I right? Emotep. Thank you so much for listening to our episode about The Mummy. We've been having a great time doing these episodes so far, but we want to interact with you on the internet. So please find us on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod. We want to get into it with you. If you disagree with us, please let us know. If you agree with us, please let us know. But share this with your friends. Comment, like, subscribe. Do all those things that you normally have to do. Get us those free upvote bucks that we can spend at the internet store so that we can maybe make this podcast even more popular and reach more people out there but in the end thank you so very much for the enthusiasm that we've received and the, and the positive vibes that we've gotten from you all out there there's a lot to tackle and there's a lot to talk about here on how about this and we are excited for the coming months we have just switched to a weekly release schedule so we hope that we're on your podcast feed every thursday and or friday but last but not least please let us know what you want us to talk about feel free to send us a message and say hey i'd love for you to tackle this one or maybe there's something we need to revisit so as always with how about this find us on the web and talk to us as much as possible let us know what you love and be sure to share this with everyone you know thank you so much and enjoy your day